Well, welcome to our church service this morning. Um, we're going to start off with a question. And the question is, how many of you have read this book? For those of you who ha can't see, it's The Little House in the Big Woods. Can I have a show of hands how many people have read this book? Great. Well, there's no right or wrong answer here for this book. Um, how many of you have read this book cover to cover? One person. I, I feel like we ought to give Simon a hand of a... So, second question, or third question, I guess. How many of you would say this book talks a lot more about God and is much more spiritually uplifting than this book? That might be debatable, but um, depending on your viewpoint. But most of us would, at some level, agree with that. So why haven't we read this book? Well, it's a big, thick book, and it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of discipline to read The Entire Martyr's Mirror. Um, this book, you sit down for a couple winter evenings, and you have a good time as a family, and you read it. So I think the point of this example is that good things are often hard things. They take a lot of sacrifice on our part, and um, you know we have to say no to ourselves to get something in the future. And this might be a very crude example, but there's a lot of examples in our lives about that. And the title of today's message is A Marshmallow Today or eternal reward in heaven. And the text is going to be Matthew 6, 1 through 18. A little disclosure, um, disclaimer here, we are going to be skipping um, verses 9 through 15. We'll be looking back at those in a few, at a future date. But um, we're, So we're going to kind of look at 1 through 8, but kind of skipping over 9 through 15. Um, but I have another object lesson that I'm going to start with before we get into the actual text today. And that object lesson is called the marshmallow experiment. How many of you are familiar with the marshmallow experiment? A handful of people are. So it's a simple experiment in which you have a table and you call in a child, and you have a marshmallow on the table. And you say, if you sit here for 15 minutes, you can, we'll give you a second marshmallow, or you can eat the marshmallow. And the adult leaves the room, and the experiment is simply, does the child wait 15 minutes and get a second marshmallow? Or does the child eat the marshmallow and not get a second marshmallow? So. And the point of this experiment is just to help understand delayed gratification. And there's a whole series of experiments that went along with this. They followed these children through their entire lives to see where they ended up and the results of this experiment. 
And the short version is people who delay gratification end up in a better spot than people who do not. So I'm going to, I don't have marshmallows today, but we're going to, uh, I need three volunteers of children under eight. We'll start with children under eight. If we have any children under eight, Annika, you can come up. Any other children under eight? Come on up. Right here, we'll line up right here. I need one more, one more. There we go, okay. I don't have anybody else, well, Autumn, do you wanna come up? Okay, that, so I have a bag, and I have a bag full of little cookies. So here's the deal. I'm gonna give you each a cookie. And when that hand on the clock gets to six, if you have not eaten your cookie, I'm gonna call you up here and you can have another cookie. If you have eaten your cookie, you can stay in your seat and you won't get another cookie. Does that sound good? Everybody got that? So you do whatever you want. So go ahead and go back to your parents. The cookie bag's gonna sit here. Okay, so we're going to just pause that and we'll come back to that in about seven minutes. Um, the point of this is, or one of the things I do want to point out is, the older we get, the more maturity we have, and so the more of an ability we have to say no to that immediate gratification and say yes to a larger gratification at the end. So we'll pause that and we're going to um, move into the text today. So. Like normal, I'm going to read through our entire passage, and then we're going to break this down into some smaller, more bite-sized pieces. I do want to point out two things in this passage that are recurring themes. Um, the first is, truly I say to you, you, they, maybe you, have received the reward. And then secondly, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So. Those two ideas are recurring themes that are gonna come up multiple times. And I always want to think about this. When something is repeated, it's repeated because it's important. So we wanna focus in on that as we're reading. Um, and I am going to read in the, new, um, or in the English Standard Version mainly because the wording in this passage is different than the King James. The King James adds words that um, I do not think really show the true meaning of this passage. So that's why we're gonna be reading in this. Normally I do use the King James. So, chapter six, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have received no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, 
so that your giving may be in secret, and that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when, you're, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the seat street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray, then, like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be do done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who sees in secret, will who, who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The King James adds, will reward you openly, um, which I will just point out um, is not part of the original text, and I think kind of leads to this feeling of re um, reward us in light of others rather than a more eternal heavenly reward. Not that we can't be rewarded kind of on an earthly side. So... Um, that is something that is a difference in the translations. But I want to bring out three factors today that I want to look at that Jesus addresses, and they are giving, praying, and fasting. And he talks about how we should go about that in this passage. Um, and really the idea that we're not concerned about how those around us are viewing us, but rather concerned about the eternal kingdom and building that kingdom up. And I think it's so important to kind of think about this because this is an area that affects every aspect of our lives. And um, so we're just going to walk through these three um, three sections and then we will be just jumping over and not addressing verses 9 through 15. So. so starting with giving. Jesus starts with a warning. And too often with warnings, we take them as maybes. And I think about this as when we're driving down a road and we'll see these signs and they'll say, beware of the bridge is icy. Well, the bridge may be icy. It's not necessarily icy. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's saying 
the bridge is icy. It's a very definite thing. And so we have to be careful we don't fall into that trap. Um, so he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then he goes on to say, for then you will have no reward. And again, paying attention to this language. This is a very cause and effect um, type of language. He's saying, if you do this, then you will not have a reward with our Heavenly Father. It's not a, well, can I have half and half? Nope, it's a very much an either or. So when we practice righteousness for those around us, we're giving up that long-term reward. So I am at close to 11.30. So would my three participants come up? So, you all have your cookies. You're so mature. <laughs> so here's a second cookie for each of you. And you can go back to your parents. Good job, guys. So, um... I love the fact that all of them did. It would have been a nice experiment if like one of them had and the other hadn't. It would have like kind of shown this a little better, but um, it, it's great that we're um, developing good um, long-term um, Christian children who are going to be great at long-term gratification. But um, so moving on, not to disrupt the flow here, um, John it um, says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? And that's a question that he's asking. But again, just putting that in light in, um, you know, if we're seeking the glory of man, it's really bringing into question our faith um, if we're not seeking the glory of God. So, um, this is not just an isolated teaching, but a recurring theme in the Bible that when we're practicing righteousness and, one, and then thinking about how we practice righteousness, giving is a way that a lot of us practice righteousness, and it's a good thing. And that's another recurring theme that I'm seeing in these three areas that Jesus speaks of. He's not saying... Let's stop giving, or let's stop praying, or let's stop fasting. He's saying we need to do these in the correct way. So what are the correct ways to give? Um, and I think just really nuts and bolts, giving in ways that are not glamorous. When we give gifts, you know, do it in ways that those around us may not see. And I, I think about, it's very, anybody in the nonprofit world knows, it's very easy to get donations for buildings. If you want to build a building, you can find somebody who will pay for that building and let you 
put their name on it. And it's much harder to get donations for things that aren't glamorous, things like, you know, giving food to homeless people. Those types of um, giving are much more difficult to fund because there's very little glamour in them. And as Christians, we are called to give in the ways that don't seek reward. I think about growing up, um, and then, well, I'll back up a little bit. Um, and then also giving in the word secret is used here. And I think about growing up, I had, there was a gentleman in the church I grew up with who would, and again, eventually you find this stuff out, but would hear of a need and just put an anonymous cash envelope in people's mailboxes when he heard of a need. Somebody had a big dental bill, and all of a sudden, there'd be $1,000 in their mailbox um, with no name behind it, and it didn't turn into something where it was a status symbol for him or anything like that. It was him giving in secret, um, and you know, again, again, people found out, but it wasn't you know, out of that motivation. Um, so again, I think that's an important way for us to think about our giving. And then the third part of this that really struck me is, so we're not doing it for, we're not giving out of the idea of, you know, showing off to others, but what about showing off to ourselves and feeling good about ourselves? Giving is not how we get self-worth. Um, and Jesus addresses this by saying that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand gives. And I think that was more convicting to me than anything because so many times in my life when I give, I remember and I'm mentally keeping track of that. And I don't really have any hard ways of helping us to you know, overcome that other than to not focus on it and, you know, really striving to give with an open hand without, you know, without holding on to that or holding it over other people. And then finally, he ends that passage with just that reminder, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And I love the open-endedness of that reward. It doesn't say how he will reward us. It doesn't say he'll give us a bigger house um, or anything like that. It just says he will reward you. But there's also a very eternal aspect to that reward. And it's not, you know, it just has this... um, meaning that, is be, that transcends earthly possessions and is very eternal. So moving on to the second section, and that's verses 5 through 8. Um, and it's instructions on prayer. And one of my favorite, I, I've just become more and more a lover of Proverbs, And Proverbs 10, 19 says, when the words are many, 
transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And I just, I had to read that and think of the picture being painted here. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by other. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Um, again, just taking us back to that beginning part where it's an either or. You either get it now with the honor of men, or you get it later with um, the eternal reward. Um, and your father, um, but when you go, pr- when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then it goes on to talk about empty phrases and um, just kind of vain repetition and. Um, you know, also just that reminder that God knows what we need. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of it is um, more about, you know, us asking than God not knowing. Um, and so then I do want to just address one thing that kind of I had to process a little bit. And that is just that question what is he not talking about? And the thing that stood out to me is Jesus is warning against prayer as a way to exalt ourselves rather than to uh, prayer as a way to exalt the Father. And I always come back to this um, saying or the statement on the, the wall here, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, Is that what we're doing with our prayer, or is it somehow building us up? But it is not saying that we shouldn't participate in corporate prayer. And I do want to turn to a couple passages just to um, put some text behind that. And the first one is going to be Romans 15.30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And then secondly, we'll go to Corinthians. And I'm going to start in verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gifts granted to us through many. And we could go through many passages. Those are just a couple that do demonstrate that, you know, it's not a anti-corporate prayer, but, you know, we are commanded to pray as a group. But um, it's really about the focus of are we doing it to exalt ourselves or are we doing it for God um, to exalt God. And just again, repeating verse 6 and 4, do it for yourself. You get a short-term reward, do it for God, you have an eternal reward. And then the final point that we want to touch on is fasting. And I've been struck with fasting, and one of the things Ivan always, um, we, I feel like you're the one who's really 
been reminding me a lot about the importance of fasting as a body. Um, and it's something that I find is often, like that aspect is often not something I practice as regularly as I, I should. And so in reading this, I was challenged, and I would challenge us all. This is something that I do think Jesus is expecting that we fast. Um, and so, I mean, it is a question that I would ask, is fasting a part of our regular, um, you know, worship of God in the same way as prayer, as giving, and then we have fasting? So, and it is something I really feel is short in my life. But I also think we have an aspect of this that is um, expanded past just not eating. And that is when we make sacrifices that impact us physically with the goal of drawing us closer to Christ. And... I don't want to get too creative and too kind of away from the mark here, but I do think that that can be an active part of the way we fast. And when we do that, um, when we do that, it draws us to Christ. But if we're doing that in such a way that it glorifies ourselves, and I will just reread these verses to get them fresh on our mind, minds, and I'm skipping over um, from verses 9 to 15, so I'm starting in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I find it very interesting in verse 16. The last time he's called, it's kind of, maybe it's just word, you know, the words that we, he's used, but he's talked about the scribes and the Pharisees, but then instead of calling them that there here he just calls them hypocrites um so i guess my question is do we want jesus to title us with that um you know do we want to fall into that camp and i think all of us would say no we don't want to but um so again we're not doing it in ways that come across um that we we're exhibiting our fasting or our, you know, just any kind of sacrifice. Rather, we're coming with a fresh countenance. We're not, you know, calling up our friends and like, hey, do you know it's Fast Tuesday? We got to, you know, no, we're, you know, we're going to just go about our lives, let it draw us close to God, honor and glorify God. Um, and I had to think about earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, he says, um, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I think about as we're fasting, as we're doing things that, um, 
physically impact us, to draw us closer to God, I think that same concept applies here, where we can rejoice and be happy and glad that our Father, that great is our reward in heaven, and that we're glorifying the Father who is in heaven. So, in conclusion, I want to think about what does this mean in our day-to-day life? Jesus calls us to a life of purpose. The world has taken this idea that, um, of sacrifice, and they've turned it into a lot of self-help books. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of ideas behind, you know, let's sacrifice now so that we can have something for later. If um, a financial planner's slogan I read the other day was, give a little of today for a big, beautiful tomorrow. The idea that, you know, you save, you know, in retirement and then for retirement when you're young, and then you can retire and live a good life when you're older. So this is an idea that is very prevalent in the world around us. But I think, and I think many times we, you know, we gravitate toward that. There's something, you know, you go, you know, get exercised, you feel better. We all know these things, but too often um, we're taking this approach with our faith, but it is still very self-serving. It's what can I get about it? And as I think about that, I think about what Paul wrote about, um, for him, um, you know, just about the fact um, for, well, we'll turn to that now. Um, so we'll turn to Philippians. You don't need to turn there with me. I'm just reading a couple verses. And for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, but according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I often just keep coming back to these words and asking is that the driver behind everything I do? And it can't be, it can't stop at the idea of a returnal, eternal reward for myself, but it's much more focused on glorifying and magnifying Christ. And I wanted to then just bring out one other aspect that I, coming back to my marshmallow experiment, I wanted to bring out one aspect that I found interesting in this experiment. They did a couple variations on it, and one of them was they immediately before the experiment put the children in the room by themselves, and they promised them stickers. They said, we'll bring you some stickers, and they never did. And then they went on to do the experiment. Well, most of those children, or a higher percentage of those children, ended up eating the cookie immediately when it was brought to them because they didn't trust the people who were conducting the experiment. In another variation of the experiment, 
they promised them stickers, they brought them stickers, and they, and a very, very high level of those um, children waited for the second cookie because they trusted the people conducting the experiment. So what does that tell us? That the way we respond to God's commandments have a direct correlation with, or I would propose that it tells us, that they have a direct correlation with whether we truly believe that um, in what Jesus has promised us. And I invite us to examine our lives and also just turning back to those very cause and effect words in John that he, um, that I shared in the beginning. How can you, how can you believe when you receive glory from one and another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? And so, I don't want to leave on a down note, but I do want to use that as a challenge to us that we examine our lives and that we ask ourselves, where are we seeking glory? And that we ensure that we can come back to just one last time those words of Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So thank you for your time, and I'll um, turn the time back to Ivan.